We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. So breaking news in the sports world. We mentioned it uh, before the break. And we're seeing history here, folks. The Milwaukee Bucks have decided to boycott Game 5 of their NBA playoff series with the Orlando Magic in the bubble tonight. Now, Milwaukee leads this series three games to one. This game was supposed to tip off at 4 o'clock, and some buzz started building about players walking away, walking away from warm-ups, and then it became pretty clear that they're going to protest. I'm now seeing a tweet from LeBron James that I cannot repeat on the radio, I will say that. Uh, He says, bleep this, man. We demand change. Sick of it. Lakers and Blazers are scheduled to play later tonight. So are we going to see, we were using the reference earlier about dominoes, are we going to see some dominoes fall? Where other NBA games, so here's here's what we have slated for today. Magic Bucks, supposed to be a 4 o'clock tip time. Thunder Rockets, game 5 of their series, that's tied to a piece. That's scheduled to tip at 6.30, and this is happening as we speak, folks. So I haven't uh, seen on social media if any members of the Thunder or Rockets have showed their support or put out any indication of what's happening there. Trailblazers, Lakers, Game 4, that could be, or Game 5, pardon me, with the Lakers looking to clinch that series. Is that now up in the air, or is LeBron just kind of expressing some frustration and backing up his... Friends and backing up the players on the Bucks and the Magic. Alex Lastry tweeted this. He is a senior vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks. Quote, some things are bigger than basketball. The stand taken today by the players and organization shows that we're fed up. Enough is enough. Change needs to happen. I'm incredibly proud of our guys, and we stand 100% behind our players, ready to assist and bring about real change. I haven't seen anything to this point. I would imagine the NBA is going to put out a statement here shortly, and oh, here we go, dominoes fallen. Rockets, OKC players are planning to boycott Game 5 of their series. So one would imagine, given what we just saw LeBron James tweet, that Lakers Trailblazers is going to follow suit. So we're now seeing a coordinated effort of canceling games. It's one thing to boycott before a game, as the Colin Kaepernick protest, that was a protest, not a boycott, but the Colin Kaepernick protest was. It's certainly another thing to hear people in media sessions and in media opportunities express their opinions on it. Social media has become a place where people can certainly do this as well. So the question becomes, does sitting out a game get your message across? If it was the Bucs alone, because it affects them the most. This happened in Wisconsin, and of course we're talking about the shooting of Jacob Blake. 
it's it's a local issue, but it's a national issue, right? It's it, this happened in this particular case in Kenosha, Wisconsin, but it's it's a national issue that has led to why NBA players have Black Lives Matter, have all sorts of messages on their uniforms, right? It's not a singular event or protest that leads to systematic change. It is a number of these types of things that move meters. Now, there's certainly going to be some blowback on this. There's certainly going to be people upset that there's not going to be a few basketball games tonight. And as tends to happen in these divisive times, you you automatically go to one corner or the other here. I think it is a legitimate thought to say is that you have to do things different, right? Because some of those, to be fair, some of those channels that I brought up before, the normal way in which athletes express their frustration, uniform patches, interviews, taking a knee, the ways they have cried out and said, we need this to be heard, using their platform to try and affect change. What really gets attention is when you do something that's so out of the box and so unprecedented that you're forced to at least acknowledge it, right? Three NBA playoff games, if in fact the Lakers-Blazers gets postponed, which they've got to be on the way to doing it, if the Bucks and Magic and the Rockets OKC has been canceled, right? That is unprecedented. Now, Ryan Clark, I think, had a pretty interesting point on ESPN today, saying that maybe sitting out games is not the most effective way to get your message across. Here's what he said. The reason that we get to talk about Doc Rivers today is because he is playing. If Doc Rivers makes that statement at a rally, if Doc Rivers makes that statement at a protest, it's not necessarily the national news it is because he made it after a playoff game. Because after he coached a great game, after one of his players has a breakthrough emotionally and mentally, Doc Rivers had to sit up there and talk about Jacob Blake, who was just shot seven times in front of his children, and talk about the routine traffic stops that he's had to talk his children through and that he's had to explain to the young black men that he is raising that you can't react the way that this white man can hear or this white man can't ha- doesn't have to have the conversation with his children that I do. Those things are powerful. If you have not heard Doc Rivers, I am going to play a little bit of it for you here because again this is this is an issue that goes beyond the stick to sports is just not possible here when you have two nba playoff games that we know have been shut down and i would imagine a third with the blazers and lakers scheduled for nine o'clock tonight and what lebron tweeted which again i can't read the whole thing to you because there's some naughty words in it but he basically said like yeah we're back in what milwaukee and orlando have decided mostly milwaukee because it affects them in their state But Doc Rivers, very emotional, very raw, very honest. And this is the son of a police officer, by the way. So for people that say, well, the police are being unfairly attacked here. What do these guys know about what our law enforcement's trying to do out there? Well, Doc Rivers knows because he's the son of a policeman. And here's what he said about it. Bring this fear, right? Convention. uh, convention. And they're spewing this fear, right? Like... All you hear is Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And 
All you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We got to do better. Uh, but we got to demand better. Like we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us. That's Doc Rivers last night, and I didn't even play the whole clip. I would encourage you to watch the entire, it's about a three-minute clip last night. So now we're back in that same conversation. The role that sports plays in change like this. Here you have a lot of people very emotional about this, connected to it, speaking out about it, and as we speak, history being made. Playoff games canceled as a form of protest. Pretty amazing to see in real time here. We'll break on that note and come back around the block, ESPN Radio. He is here, the man, the myth, the legend from QSNation.com, following all things Syracuse athletics, including the world of recruiting. Mike McAllister is back with us here on the block, ESPN Radio. Hello, Michael. Brent, would it be a good thing or a bad thing if I spoke to you during this segment like uh, Kimberly Gilfoyle giving an RNC speech? Please don't. Please don't. Okay. I'll refrain. You would be like those people that, and this drives me absolutely up the wall batty. And, and God bless him, it's usually senior citizens, okay? But people that put their phones on speakerphone in public and not only do that, they feel like they have to talk louder when they're on the speakerphone. Like, you, did you it, that, see that thing on your phone? It's actually like a little microphone. You don't have to talk louder. So, yes, let's let's refrain from the uh, Kimberly Gillifoyle uh, method of, of radio delivery. I would appreciate that. All right, I'll, I'll work on that. Now, quick funny story. I actually had a relative that lived out of state that used to call, I'd say, once a week or so. And whenever they would call, they would scream into the phone as <laughs> if I could hear them without the phone. It's so, the yeah, best. It's, it's the best, awesome. isn't it? And this comes from somebody, I've been in radio for 20 years. I've lost a little bit of my hearing, but even I know, you don't have to talk louder. It's a microphone. It will pick you up. Anyway. Uh, We we will talk passionately about Syracuse athletics here and recruiting here in a moment. But let me just start with this, Mike. I know it's been tough to track camp uh, with the, uh, you know, the shutdown of practice. And we've been kind of relying on what Dino Babers has been saying, what players have been saying. But what what have been the big things through camp so far that have stood out to you about, you know, the practices being shut down and just how this team is trying to prepare for a season that's ready to go on September 12th as of today? Well, I think there's two things. First, it's it's the situation with the pandemic, which always, uh, you know, ever since it's hit and it's impacted everyone's lives, it's sort of 
change the way that everyone does things. That includes the way we cover the team. That includes the way they practice. And then, you know, how they're going about the season as well. It's been interesting for me to track uh, sort of the way that the players respond to this and the, the way that they've used their platform to sit out practices when they feel like something isn't being done in the best way to keep them safe. What's also been interesting to me is to see that it's primarily been out of concern for what other schools are doing, not necessarily that Syracuse isn't taking this seriously, which I think should uh, encourage some fans about the way Syracuse is approaching it. From an on-the-field perspective, I like what I've heard uh, some rumblings about the way that some of the, the true freshmen are performing. Now, I don't know that that means that a lot of these guys are going to see major roles right away, but what I think it could mean is that you see some of them playing you know, in little snippets here and there, maybe a Damian Alford, who's a good six four, six foot five, has a big, big frame, and maybe he gets some opportunities in in red zone scenarios. Uh, Stephen Mahar, very athletic tight end prospect, you know, still needs to bulk up and add some weight and things of that nature. But we saw what a guy like a Luke Benson, who was a nice receiving threat at that tight end position, did last year. Maybe Stephen Mahar will get a couple opportunities like that. Uh, so it's it's been interesting seeing and hearing about the way some of those things have played out. But, uh, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that the whole pandemic aspect of this has kind of dominated the thought process and then the way that I view everything. Yeah, and, you know, we haven't really asked about this. We have time to do it. But I'm wondering if James Williams, the freshman punter, is, you know, basically has the job or if Nolan Cooney's going to take over. That Look, that's a big decision when you're following Sterling Hoffrichter and how consistent he was. Uh, Steve Linton has been a, a young player who's gotten a lot of attention. How's the offensive line coming together? And that leads me to my next thing, Mike. You've written about it, certainly, and tweeted about it, and I'm just as befuddled by it as you are, but worth bringing up here. How has it taken this long for the NCAA to, in this case, not make a decision on the status of Chris Blake? Because that is a major decision in terms of not only his eligibility and his status at school, and he, I'm sure he'd like an answer, but he'd be a big help for an offensive line that certainly has a lot to recover from last season. Well, again, as if we needed another example of this, but the NCAA continues to prove that it's incompetent, and every time you think that they can't prove it to another degree, they do. And this situation is another example of that. And as you mentioned, he could potentially be a big piece for Syracuse and be important for what they do along the offensive line, but beyond just that, it's not fair to the player and it's not fair to the team to hold them hostage like this so that they don't know with the season two and a half weeks away whether or not he's going to be available they need to know so that they can plan and put a game plan in place and if he's not going to be then they need to give someone else more reps in practice to get them prepared who's the best option there you shouldn't have to split whether you're focusing on putting uh into the starting lineup or putting someone else into the starting lineup you should be able to focus on what your team is going to look like and the fact that it's been four and a half months You've had players who committed one or two months after he sent his paperwork in, which means that would have been the earliest time period in which they could have put their paperwork in, and they've already received notification that theirs has been granted, is a flat-out joke. It speaks to preferential treatment to certain programs, certain positions, and to the complete inadequacy of not only this process, but by the NCAA to put the appropriate number of personnel in place 
in order to properly process these in a timely manner. Well said, Mike, for sure. And uh, right here at Syracuse, of course, you get got a basketball player who got a, a ruling in a relatively quick amount of time, and Alan Griffin, and no two cases are, are created equal. I understand that, but uh, we certainly should have got some news by now. Uh, switching to recruiting, Mike, uh, big in-state commitment for Syracuse that we heard about over the weekend. Three-star Bronx, New York, from Cardinal Hayes defensive tackle Elijah Fuentes. Tell me about him. This is a really interesting recruitment because at one point it felt like Syracuse was in a really good spot for him. And then he appeared to be really close to to committing to Rutgers. And then, you know, a little time went by and it felt like Syracuse was, was getting back into the lead for him. And then Boston College had a huge wave of momentum recruitment. Multiple crystal ball predictions on 24-7 sports came in for his, uh, for him committing to Boston College. And it seemed like he was imminently close to picking the Eagles. And then it just kept not happening. And the longer it went and the longer assistant coach Nick Monroe was able to make his pitch to Fuentes to Syracuse, the more the momentum built for Syracuse. And it culminated with that commitment just a few days ago over the weekend. So this is a big get for Syracuse. It's important to get defensive tackles who are athletic like Fuentes is. That means that you can slide him outside in certain packages. He can play in the middle in some of your pass rushing packages. Gives you some versatility there in the 3-3-5. And uh, beating some of your regional recruiting rivals like Rutgers and Boston College for a kid from your home state, it's important. And and it's, it's good for Syracuse to get a player like that and uh, a good job by Nick Monroe and, and the assistant coaches for being persistent, not allowing him to just commit somewhere else, continuing to recruit him, and, and ultimately get him as part of your class. Mike, we've certainly discussed uh, Darian Chestnut, one of the highest-rated commitments Syracuse has gotten in, in the last decade at any position, and he's got a teammate who is a highly coveted linebacker in the state of New Jersey. Uh, what is his interest level in Syracuse right now? Yes, Nair Graham is a linebacker in the class of 2022. Uh, he likes Syracuse quite a bit. Syracuse is one of the schools recruiting him the hardest, along with Boston College, Miami, Rutgers, and a couple others. Um, I, I think Miami is probably going to be Syracuse's biggest competition there. depends on how much they want him. But Syracuse was in on him early when uh, Chestnut took a visit up to Syracuse pre-pandemic for their junior day. Uh, Graham was actually the one that drove him up to that visit. He is, Syracuse has recruited him extremely hard for, for a long period of time. So they are, are firmly in the mix there. They will be one of, uh, I'd say, the final two or three schools on his list when he does go to make that decision, which he's looking at next summer. But uh, Syracuse has done some really good early work there. And, and just a quick note on Chestnut. Um, people will notice on 24-7 that his composite dropped from four stars to three stars. I've seen some questions on this. This was not because 24-7 dropped his ranking. This was because rivals did what Rivals did was they took him out of the top 150 prospects, took him as um, a top 10 player at his position, dropped him to the 26th best player at his position, and out of the top 300. He's still four-star in Rivals, but he dropped significantly there, uh, despite the fact that there have been no new games, no new camps, and no new film on him since then. But right after he committed to Syracuse, they dropped him significantly, and that resulted in his composite dropping enough to lose that fourth star. Mike, on the offensive side of the ball, there's a wide receiver target, Omari Hatcher, who recently discussed his communication with the Orange staff, including with head coach Dino Babers. What's kind of his time frame? And tell me about him as a prospect as well. Well, he actually tweeted out today, commitment coming soon. 
so I, I don't know how soon exactly that means. Sometimes that means within a couple of days. Sometimes that means within a week or two. Um, you know, sometimes uh, he's a teenager and he gets excited about something and thinks he's about ready to commit somewhere and then decides he's going to wait three or four months. So you never really know, but that sounds like he's getting closer to a decision. And Syracuse is firmly involved there. He, in that same post, uh, where he said he was committing soon. He had a graphic with several schools listed on there. Noticeably absent from that list was Penn State, who I thought was Syracuse's biggest competition um, with his recruitment. So the fact that they're not there, Michigan State, Maryland are still schools to be a little bit concerned about. But uh, Syracuse has recruited him extremely hard, and uh, they're, they're going to be one of the, I'd say, two or three schools that will be the favorites heading into his decision, if it is indeed in the near future. Michael, always appreciate the time. Always appreciate the insight, my friend. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, reporting on some real football here soon. Let's hope, Brent. I appreciate it.